Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Speak Up conversation. Today, I'm joined by Dasha Kolasek, and we are coming to you um, from the lands of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung people and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation, and I'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome today, Dasha, and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Today I'm really pleased to be speaking with Dasha about her work with the autistic community. Um, and Dasha, would you like to uh, talk about being someone who's proudly autistic and what it's like to work in the field of formally identifying the autistic neurotype in women and people who are assigned female at birth? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, I I'm, I think it's amazing to work in the field um, that I'm in. Um, so uh, as a speech pathologist, I have been working with the autistic population and I've been very interested in the autistic neurotype for almost a decade now. Um, and uh, for the last six years, I've been doing autism assessments um, here in South Australia. So uh, <laughs> in somewhat of a twist, though, um, despite that interest, I didn't realise that I myself was autistic until just last year. So I'm actually a late identified um, autistic ADHD myself. Um, and so uh, my my previous interest has really uh, leveled up, I guess, um, and been a little bit more refined uh, to understanding the masked, internalised and nuanced presentation of the autistic neurotype, particularly in women and AFAB individuals, because it's something that isn't um, widely enough talked about at the moment. So now I'm, I'm really excited to be using both my professional experience as well as my, my lived experience in what I do. Mm. This is a a wondering that I've had um, for a little while and slightly personally invested. Do you think mm. that autistic women who are speech pathologists often just gravitate towards working with autistic individuals because it's their tribe and they don't quite know? Mm. But it does seem to happen quite often and I myself have fallen into that work as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's such a um, an interesting and juicy question because absolutely, <laughs> and it's it's not just speech pathologists. So um, allied health professionals are somewhat overrepresented in the population of autistic women that I assess. Um, and I find that um, not only do I have speech pathologists, occupational therapists that I assess, but also a lot of psychologists. Mm -hmm. And so we, with psychology, it's quite interesting because um, often uh, they will share with me that they didn't really understand people so much and they thought it'd be great to study them and learn more. And so they ended up naturally falling into that career. Um, but absolutely, a lot of the therapists um, that come to me for assessments talk about how, well, you know, a lot of what their autistic clients are, are doing and experiencing just makes sense and it's so fair enough. And, yeah, they connect with them really well. And it's one of the real benefits, I guess, of being an autistic therapist yourself if you're working with the autistic population. There is an amazing connection there and oftentimes um, authentic autistic communication that happens and is really enriching for the therapeutic process. So absolutely, yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. Okay. 
And related to that, why do you think so many autistic individuals go unidentified or aren't identified until later in life? And what factors do you think contribute to this? Mm, Well, I think historically we haven't had enough information about that more nuanced um, or masked internalised presentation. Um, It's quite well known that the DSM-5 criteria were were based on a young male population, many of them experiencing um, a a trauma response. Uh, And so the information that has been widely available hasn't Uh, accurately depicted the experience of particularly women and AFAB individuals and non-binary folks. So it um, it is it's predominantly, I think, around that, the lack of information, as well as masking. So what we know, particularly with um, you know, the the demands on the female experience from society is that the masking experience is um, even further exacerbated. Um, And so there, there isn't a, um, it can be more challenging to identify that masked experience. And so luckily, more and more autism assessors are doing professional development in this space um, and are learning more and are able to support people with those late identifications. Um, but it's, it's just such an area that we need more people to be working in. Um, so hopefully as things continue and more professional development comes out, it's something that will be identified um, more and more. In fact, it was um, it was only after attending a lecture myself um, that I actually uh, on on the female experience um, of the autistic neurotype that I myself was uh, opened up to this information. Um, so I think professional development, um, hopefully as that comes out, it will increase the amount of um, people that are able to be identified. Oh, another big thing here though is through social media, information is so much more plentifully available. Um, and there are a lot of incredible autistic content creators that share information um, and uh, there are accounts that can help with the process of self-identification as well. Um, I've actually um, created a an account myself called While You Wonder that helps people with the self-identification process or helping to prepare for formal identification. And that um, that actually shares information from the nuanced perspective as well. Okay, that's really interesting. And I think your point around social media you know, it's so true when a lot of autistic individuals prefer to communicate that way. So mm-hmm. um, really effective in getting the message out there. Mm, it is. Okay. So speaking about authentic autistic communication, what do mm. you think it's like and why is it important for speech pathologists to understand it well? Well, I think in order to really understand authentic communication, it's worth looking at neurotypical communication first and making that reference. Um, But before we dive into that, I think the reason why it's so important for speech pathologists to understand it is that if we're trying to take a neurodiversity affirming approach with the autistic population that we work with, it's vital that we, we help them lean into their authentic selves to help them understand that there's nothing wrong with the way that they naturally communicate or the way that they naturally connect with others or the way that they experience the world. And so, you know, to to avoid, you know, just teaching masking without thinking about, you know, how how that fits in for the client um, or the implications of it, it's really important to understand what is the other side. I think we're taught so much these days that social skills, we have to be really careful and mindful of how we teach them. But what we don't get talked about, what we don't hear enough about is 
what 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 do we do instead and what does authentic autistic communication look like and so something that i've done is um i have created the three m's of um communication differences i guess um to highlight the differences between neurotypical and autistic communication so let's t- touch on um neurotypical communication first now as speech pathologists we're all going to know this, but it's worth um, being able to present it to um, show the contrast. So within neurotypical communication, there is a lot of structure. Conversations have ways that they start, ways that you get into it a little bit deeper, the ways that you keep going, ways that you finish. There are things that you can say and things that you can't say. There are things that you need to say indirectly because of those rules. Um, and the the first of the three M's that I like to talk about is motivation. So motivation for communication for neurotypical people is often the enjoyment of the interaction itself, not necessarily the content of the conversation. That's why small talk can be such a powerful tool to to move that communication forward between neurotypicals because it provides an opportunity to cycle through topics without necessarily needing to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, And so that motivation and the enjoyment of it really comes from that just ability to connect, um, not necessarily um, needing to have a particular topic of interest during that conversation. Um, I guess with neurotypical communication, often, you know, it will delve into a deeper topic. And these quite often are people-based. So conversations that are, you know, considered to be deep conversations are often about themselves, their relationships with others, other people's relationships, as well as Um, you know, even celebrity culture comes into this too. So it provides another means to to talk about that sort of those people-based topics that bring so much enjoyment to neurotypical communication. So the second M that I like to talk about is meaning. Where does meaning come from within neurotypical communication? Well, of course, comes from words, but It also comes from nonverbal communication. So eye contact, body language, tone of voice, facial expression, rate of speech, all of these things hold meaning as well as words. And so sometimes the tool of nonverbal communication can aid in that indirect language that gets used. Um, So the meaning comes from across the board words and nonverbal communication. And the last M is manners. So the way that neurotypical people show each other listening, signs of listening and respect is a huge point of difference between the two communication styles. And it's something that really gets us into a bit of a pickle. So manners in terms of neurotypical communication is often the, um, you know, the quiet listening without interrupting, showing positive body language, nodding along, sometimes making little sounds like, "Mm, okay. Um, And uh, often eye contact forms a big part of what is considered um, that that you know that rich um that rich listening and respect um and so the back and forth interaction that happens then um is another big part of neurotypical communication so that's that comes down to i talk for a little bit you talk for a little bit i talk for a bit longer you talk for a bit longer we all know this we've all taught this at some point um so uh the the interesting thing though is um 
why questions asked in your typical communication, of course, for information purposes, but often it's also to keep that back and forth conversation going. So I ask you something to for you to tell me more and likewise. Um, and so there's, there's a real um, emphasis there on that nonverbal communication in that, in those manners um, and that, that signs of respect. So now that we have the understanding of, well, a refresher, really, let's face it, um, on neurotypical communication. Now we can talk about what authentic autistic communication looks like. And I think this is, like I said before, really important for speech pathologists to understand. So authentic autistic communication, unfortunately, Amy, doesn't, we don't see it a lot because most autistic people have been exposed to neurotypical standards and expectations for so long that it is impacted quite heavily by that and often masking can play a big role. But if we were to find an autistic tribe somewhere that had no contact with the (laughs) neurotypical population, I think it'd be quite, um, quite an interesting experience and something that would be really insightful. And I think that what would happen in this space is that there would likely not be a lot of structure to conversations. Um, And one of the big things here, one of the big differences back to the three M's is motivation. So motivation for um, autistic communication is often interest or purpose-based. So there, you know, if for you know, purpose. So to um, to move forward in some way, um, to achieve goals together, um, or for for to discuss interests or something that is interesting to them, or something that they're interested in um, that the other person has to share. So that motivation is quite different, and because of that focus on interest, um, the topic of conversation is really important. So small talk doesn't play a big role in authentic autistic communication because rather than just talking for the purpose of that communication and chit chat, it's really for that interest-based topic. And hey, I'm not saying there aren't people that are fascinated by weather, uh, <laughs> but it probably wouldn't take so much of a star role um, in that communication. So um, the conversations tend to jump straight in and sometimes people have even um, uh, in part of their self-identification process or in preparing for uh, assessment, they've realized, oh, I like to just talk about the deep stuff straight away and skip all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's that ringing some bells as well, that that jumping in and wanting to talk about that interest-based stuff is, is huge. Um, so the next thing is meaning, and this is really, really huge. Words hold meaning. Now, that sounds really obvious, but when it comes to autistic communication, words hold the most meaning. And nonverbal communication really isn't necessarily a big deal. And so I often talk um, in my assessments um, about this and say, look, if I talk to you like this, now for everyone, I'm crossing my arms and I'm doing a frowny face and turning my body away. If I do this and I say, I'm having such a great time with you, how are you going to feel? Now, understanding that you've been impacted by neurotypical communication, you're likely to read into those signs. But in authentic autistic communication, it wouldn't really matter what my body is doing because words hold that most, that the predominant meaning in that communication. Now, questions. Questions in authentic communication um, within the autistic community is to gain information. So they're not so much asked to keep a conversation going. They're asked because the person wants to know um, the answer or the information that they're going to get out of it. 
Yeah. So that is the meaning. And that's where you can hear, as I'm talking, you can no doubt hear the sticky situations we get into with these differences. Mm-hmm. They're, they're quite significant. And lastly, and perhaps one of the, the biggest pickles is manners again. So how do autistic people show each other that they're listening and that they're respecting and engaged in a conversation? Well, they will jump in. They will, I've coined the term co-utter because I'm sick of hearing about interruptions. So they will co-utter, they will jump in and they will say something. They will um, communicate with anecdotal sharing. So they will jump in and share something that, um, how it relates to them. So for example, if I was to say, hey, Amy, um, on the weekend, I went to go see the Yellow Pickles on stage. They were so great. Um, If you were communicating in a neurotypical way, you might say, oh, okay, fantastic. And did you enjoy it? I might say, yeah, I did. Who did you go with? Oh, I went with some friends. Yep, yep, yep. Now, is there anything wrong with that communication style? Absolutely not. That's great. That's just more in line with neurotypical communication because a point that I really want to make is one is not better than the other. They're both fantastic ways of communicating. They're just different. We need to know that. Um, But if you were communicating with me in an authentic autistic communication style, I might say, hey, Amy, I went to see the Yellow Pickles on stage on the weekend. They were great. And you jump in and go, oh, my goodness, I saw them seven years ago. They were sensational. Was he wearing that yellow jumper? And I said, yeah, he was wearing the yellow jumper. Oh, my goodness. And uh, when I went there, they had this smoke that was coming out and it was yellow. Can you believe it? And I said, yeah, the smoke was yellow this time too. Now, Both of those, again, totally fine. But as an autistic individual, I'm a little biased. I like the latter type of conversation because I love when people jump in. For me, as an autistic individual, I don't hear that as interruptions or rude or jumping in or not respectful. For me, I go, oh, they're so engaged. Yes, they're so into what I'm saying and they're sharing their own experiences. So the way that... I feel respected as an autistic individual is that way. Whereas often in neurotypical communication, the real way of respect is that is that listening and that eye contact. Um, and again, both really, really, really valid, um, but different. And so the difficulty is that um, we don't know enough about authentic autistic communication yet. It's not widely enough understood. Um, And so that's part of my work. And what I'm doing is to really um, share that through, you know, my social media and through the work that we do at Say Hooray. Um, It's it's really, really important that we get that message out, I think. Mm. How how did you like that info dump? Well, I have to say that I think we might have to put out an authentically autistic podcast because the self-control I exercised <laughs> in listening without co-uttering was um, oh, next to no. Do it. Do it. I love it. I love it. And people, you know what? I hear that all the time in my assessments. I would do a big spiel like that. And the, the first thing they'll say, I'm just waiting for them to say, Dasha, that was genius. But no, instead they go, you have no idea how hard it was not to jump in just now. And I go, you know what? Just do it. Just do it. Because for me, that shows that you're really into mm. what I'm sharing. Um, so, yeah, the three M's, um, motivation, meaning, and manners, I think are really big key points to remember when it comes to those differences. And I guess I'm also thinking about a conversation we had a few weeks ago where you were talking and I just kept laughing because I was so entertained by your communication style. And I think that that could come across as rude, but I was just enjoying your manner. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Song, and that's what I do in my head, but you were doing it out loud and I just, um, mm. it just put my fancy um, and that would just not be considered acceptable, I think, in a lot of 
Mm. It just means how I like to engage in conversation. Um, And Mm. I think that that model you're presenting is, is really useful. Do you know what's really fascinating? Um, I I have friends that didn't realise that they're autistic until later on as well. I mean, unsurprising, people who are autistic often will, you know, make friends with other autistic people even without realising, as well as ADHDers. Here's a side yeah. note about that communication style. ADHDers also communicate in somewhat of a similar way, um, for example, with co-utterances and jumping in, mm-hmm. sometimes because they will forget if they don't say it right now, as an autistic ADHD, I definitely experience both of those worlds. If I don't say it now, it's probably never going to happen. Um, <laughs> but because ADHD, I've heard referred to as an allergy to boredom, I'm putting in air quotes, <laughs> and I found that so fascinating. Um, and I guess it really highlights that um, ADHD is often really interest-driven too. And so naturally that um, interest-driven communication um, is really in line with autistic communication. And so autistic people and ADHDs often get along quite well. Sometimes they partner up, sometimes they have children, and yes. that's why <laughs> autistic ADHDs exist. Hello. Yes. Uh, so so, yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting point. But um, the other thing that uh, you just made me think of now is um, in when you have a friend that's also been like identified and you both realise that you're autistic, um, the process of unmasking to th- together can be quite fun. And so um, I have a friend, for example, who I have um, I've let her know, skip the small talk, don't worry about it. Um, and, you know, what we do to it in our conversations with each other is I say, have I answered your question? Have I given you the information that you want? Before I yab about something else, just have I, have I ticked the box? Yes, mm. great. And then we will, I will talk for ages. She'll talk for a little bit. There's not, it's it's beautiful to be able to do that together um, mm. as well, that unmasking, because, um, you know, for me, uh, I guess it's another thing. Watch me, ADHD topic jumper right now here. Um, I'm being my authentic self. Hope you're, hope you're coping along okay with this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, another thing that kind of just made me realize how bizarre is this, that we bring, we have a lot of the time in the past brought together kids for social skills groups um, in our work as speech pathologists. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something that, you know, no, once you know better, you can do better. I have run these kind of groups in the past. And um, I had taught neurotypical social skills to the kids um, to in air quotes, help them communicate with each other. But then at some point in my journey, I went, whoa, that's so weird. Why would I do that? The kids, they're they're all autistic in this group. They know how to authentically, autistically communicate with each other. It's the same as, I guess, you know, bringing together a group of people who exclusively speak Japanese and saying, great, now we're really going to help you communicate. We're going to teach you how to speak French together. How bizarre it is when you actually stand back and think, oh, hey, actually, you know what, perhaps what we can do now, I know that, um, you know, social skills groups, are, there's such a variety of them and you can't just cover, you, there is no way to just blanket, um, blanketly discuss social skills group. There's, they're all just so different. Um, but I guess uh, something that we've been seeing happen a little bit more is groups where kids are brought together and they're helped to identify the ways in which they do authentically or um, communicate and say, oh, wow, you just shared about your interests. That's great. Like, hey, that sometimes is known as info dumping fantastic that's a great autistic communication skill so being able to share that as part of that process 
um, I think is, uh, is quite rich. Another part of authentic autistic communication that I particularly love is scripting. Many of us as speech pathologists are familiar with that term, but we might only be familiar with it when it comes to littlies who um, will, you know, recite parts of their their shows or songs. Um, but scripting is something that is a really rich part of autistic communication regardless of your age. It's something that I do a lot, for example, and it's such a fun part of autistic communication. Um, and so an example of this is it's basically really, Bringing, um, bringing something from somewhere else that is relatable. Again, it comes back to that anecdotal communication. Um, so one of the examples of that is I love the movie Notting Hill, for example. Um, I love all my 90s rom-coms, but Notting Hill is an absolute <laughs> winner. Um, and so if I'm, uh, if I'm eating something that's a little bit <clears throat> not ideal, uh, something that I don't enjoy, I will often say to whoever's around me, there's something wrong with this yogurt. Um, and that is from um, that is from when uh, Spike is eating a tub of something, um, and Hugh Grant says back to him, uh, "It's not yogurt; it's it's mayonnaise." And uh, Spike continues on eating his mayonnaise quite happily. Um, but I just uh, I use that kind of script, um, and uh, I use script scripts not only from shows. Um, I love Friends. The number of times you'll hear me say pivot um is is ridiculous um but uh also from you know like videos tiktoks um uh popular culture um it's something that we see across the lifespan um and it's such a rich beautiful part of autistic communication um and something to i guess really embrace um and it's such a beautiful thing that autistic people share with each other now of course neurotypical people engage with that um, to some degree too um the most common one the like stock standard neurotypical script is oh uh, that's okay just keep swimming um so that that one tends to be like the neurotypical go-to um scripting quote um but yeah it's it's just such a rich part i think it deserves a special mention when it comes to authentic autistic communication because um it's truly 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 wonderful um and i think it's something to embrace and to um to celebrate uh with our with our autistic um clients that we see i think you forgot it is what it is as a another scripting um, oh it is what it is oh yeah there are so many oh we could we could spend we could honestly have a whole podcast just doing scripts back and forth um it is yeah it is it is so so much fun um another one uh is that um me and um one of my uh leadership team members um she she also does lots of scripting I can't tell you how much fun we have it just makes the work day go so much faster um but we watch a lot of TikTok videos um and so whenever if one of us is doing something slightly risky, say like sending an email before nine o'clock in the morning, um, one of us will say to the other, you're crazy girl, you're crazy girl, just because <laughs> it's from a it's from a meme or something. But can you imagine somebody walking in and just going, Dasha, can I just ask you a question, you crazy girl? Sorry, what? Um, <clears throat> yes. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Um, and scripting doesn't just happen from um, shows, it can happen from other people. So something that um, that team member does when, um, you know, when she's like 
doing something on a computer and it's not quite working, she'll say, ah, oh, good morning. And so I have completely and utterly adopted that now. Um, and I go about my life and whenever something's not going as expected, you'll hear me do a uh, good morning to go <laughs> along with. So um, scripting can come from so many different sources, but it's such a, um, yeah, just a beautiful enriching part of authentic autistic communication. Um, again, that I think is worth celebrating. Um, and I, I do know that there's a lot of discussion about um, teaching your typical communication skills too. Um, and uh, even at the Yellow Ladybugs conference that happened the other week, um, there was an amazing speech pathologist that discussed this. Um, and, you know, I've often said to people, it's not that we're throwing away the skills yeah. on uh, of how to teach those neurotypical social connection. We're not throwing them in the bin. We're just repackaging them. We need to make sure that when we share about that, we're saying, hey, that's one method of communicating and that is commonly used by neurotypical people. Autistic communication, this is commonly used by autistic people. So here is here is how we communicate authentically and here is how other people communicate authentically. And I think it's been so beautiful to see um, so, so many of you know, those groups and, and the way that speech pathologists provide that neurodiversity affirming support. It's been so beautiful to watch that happen. Um, but I think it can be a bit of a daunting topic um, to start off with. But of course, I'm wonderfully off track. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I think you're right. It is so difficult to, you know, look at this topic of neurodiversity affirming practice and think, oh, okay, now I have to change everything I'm doing and I can never teach somebody um, to take somebody else's perspective ever again. But it's not so much that it's knowing that mm. um, trying to change somebody's neurotype is not, not going to happen anymore um, in a broader sense. To build on that, I think um, it's it's about, I guess, building a positive identity. So that's something that we hope to do for all of the kids that we work with. We want to have a truly positive impact and we want their identity to be affirmed regardless of what it is, whether they're, you know, autistic, neurotypical. We, we want them to feel good about who they are as an individual. And so um, I guess that's why it's so important to, to be able to share any information that you share through the lens of it's okay this is okay and that is okay um, and just I guess really it's about the way that you discuss it rather than the content that you discuss so yeah it's a it's a huge huge topic that probably could take up a podcast of its own that's right and something that I also want to note is that we don't often talk about people um, who have an intellectual disability and that mm. to them as well, that we want people with an intellectual disability to be them, their selves, um, to be their authentic Absolutely. selves. Um, and it is something that I do want to learn more about and, and speak more about as well, um, just as a side note. Mm. Yeah, so. there are a lot of intersectionalities that are so important to understand um, within the autistic community. And yeah, absolutely. The, those are those are really important areas to delve into as well um, in your work as, as a speech pathologist moves through neuroaffirming practice and learns more intersectionalities like intellectual disability, for example, is so important to understand um, and to affirm. Being neurodiversity affirming doesn't just mean being affirming of the autistic or ADHD and neurotype. There's so much more than that and there's there's a lot there's a lot there as well so given that you take a neurodiversity affirming approach to assessment how does that stack up against the need to use a deficits-based dsm-5 criteria 
Oh, yeah, that's definitely a challenge. Um, the DSM-5 criteria is, it's it's full on, it's really full on, but we have no choice but to use it. Here in Australia, that is how we formally identify or diagnose the autistic neurotype. I tend not to say diagnose because it, it really lends itself to that medical model of, you know, well, you diagnose diabetes, but we don't tend to diagnose Australianness, for example, um, <laughs> given that, you know, the autistic neurotype is more of an identity um, than, uh, than it is fitting into that. Um, so, but in order to formally identify it, I do need to use the DSM. So um, what I do is um, I have actually, um, uh, it's been a bit of a, a project of mine to reframe and rewrite the DSM-5 criteria, um, still keeping the meaning um, and the the qualities that are being looked for in the DSM-5 um, whilst taking it from an, you know, an autistic perspective um, and putting it through a neuroaffirming lens. Um, now, I use use that um, when I share about the autistic neurotype in assessments. So rather than saying, okay, well, um, we're going to discuss the A criteria now. Um, we're going to talk about your deficits in social emotional reprosocity. We're going to talk about your deficits in nonverbal communication, as well as your deficits in maintaining and creating relationships, etc. So rather than doing that, um, I talk instead about the differences between, you know, communication, nonverbal, um, authentic autistic communication. So I will actually share about what we spoke about earlier, um, about neuro, uh, about nonverbal language and how that looks different as well as autistic communication uh, autistic relationships um so it's i use it to um i guess to to paint that picture um of the autistic neurotype and and what it maintains and what it holds within it um i also actually go about my assessment processes in an authentically autistic way so I think as allied health professionals, we are so used to taking, 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 taking all the information um, and not giving anything of ourselves, but instead giving of our professional knowledge. So within an autism assessment, what that would look like is me, I use the MIDGAS myself, the assessment tool. Um, that would just be me asking the questions um, and basically giving an answer and kind of bobs your uncle. Um, but that's not how I do it. I actually start off by sharing that I'm an autistic ADHD myself. And so what I bring to the assessment is my professional experience, my interest, which is um, so significant, um, as well as my lived experience. And so while they usually come in not understanding authentic autistic communication, at some point I talk to them about um, how, you know, manners, what we talked about before, how, you know, autistic people will often co-utter, they will jump in, um, they will share in anecdotal experiences, they'll share, just like the yellow pickles we talked about before. So what I do in my assessments is I actually share about my experience as we go on. And I've had so much feedback from people who've gone through that process and said, that felt like so much of a safer space for me. It didn't feel cold. I didn't feel alone. I, I felt connected to, to you and I felt safe to share um, information about myself. And so I think that not only does it create a positive experience for them to, to do that, but it also um, allows them to share more um, depth to their information. Now, I understand that not everybody who assesses the autistic neurotype will necessarily be autistic themselves, but just like autistic people 
can adopt neurotypical communication skills, right? We can choose to do that if we so wish. Not all of us are privileged enough to be able to make a choice about that. For those of us that are privileged, we can choose to adopt neurotypical skills. And in the same way, an autistic person, can, a, a neurotypical person can choose to adopt autistic communication styles in order to communicate really in in a um in a in a great uh, in a more in a richer way i guess um so it is I, I think it's something to um that's a bit of a new concept i think um but something to just keep in mind um so yeah the the process is really um it's really beautiful. I don't feel like I'm working when I do autism assessments. Um, and at the end, um, if they, if, you know, we do determine that they're autistic, I will let them know that and I will welcome them to the autistic community that they've always been a part of, not necessarily knowingly. Um, and I will, um, I will seek to really validate their, their emotions. So absolutely. A lot of people do feel, um, you know, relieved. They feel affirmed. They feel excited. Um, but sometimes there's also that the the experiences of grief and gosh if only I had known earlier and you know the just the overall experiences I've gone through I wish that you know this had been part of my knowledge um, prior to now so um, it's really important that you know we validate um, we validate those experiences um, and I often will talk through I'll give them a reminder that being identified as autistic means that you realize there's nothing wrong with you because a lot of autistic people, especially late identified people will think throughout their lifetimes at some point, what's wrong with me? Or how come I'm not like that? There must be something wrong with me. I'm a bit, I'm, I'm different. I don't fit in. So there at times there can be lifetimes of wondering what's wrong with me. And so it can be so beautiful to, to bring, to bring that knowledge and go, Hey, it's just a different brain type. You're, there's nothing wrong with you at all. Um, you're just a perfectly normal autistic human. And um, it's wonderful to share with people in that celebration, um, I think. So, yeah, it's it's there is a lot involved, I think, in making that process, um, assessment process, neuroaffirming. Um, but it is so worthwhile. It is so worthwhile. And I think for speech pathologists listening who aren't assessors themselves, they can very much carry carry on the the spirit of that neuroaffirming nature in sharing and delighting in autistic qualities in people that they work with. Um, so I think it doesn't just apply to assessments. Um, I think that that sort of um, that celebration um, and you know honest reflection on saying yeah this is great but yeah there are challenges presented by living in a world that you know isn't built for the autistic neurotype um, being real about it whilst also um, delighting in in the beauty of the autistic neurotype as well having that balance I think regardless of whether you're um, working in the assessment space or not is is so rich wow that sounds um really special like you really found your place in the world mm -hmm. I love it <laughs> okay so it sounds like there's a lot of benefits to experiencing a neuroaffirming assessment but how do you go about ensuring that people still get access to supports accommodations and funding if it's so positive for them Mm, yeah, I get asked this a lot um, because, yeah, it does seem like, okay, well, if you're so celebratory and things are airy-fairy, then they're never going to get funding. Um, and this isn't just something that um, we experience in autism assessments, um, but more so even, um, I guess, reports that we do as speech pathologists for um, for any, any, I guess, any assessment that we do. Um, and I guess it comes down to how we 
communicate that in reports. Um, and so I, when when we have new graduates join our team um, at, at Sehre Private Practice, around, we usually do a neurodiversity affirming presentation. And with part of that presentation is that we um, we talk about we give an example of a, a report. It's actually an autism assessment report, um, and uh, that we received. And it is so. It is so oh, full on to read. You know, um, James uh, was unable to engage, um, rather staying in his own world um, and refused to communicate, only occasionally squealing to um, attempt to have his needs met. Now, we can communicate the same thing and give the same meaning in a different way. Um, you know, we can say James preferred um, solitary play, um, but occasionally provided communicative intent by making, um, you know, vocalizations um, and pointing towards so-and-so. If I said that second part, you still understand understand that he wasn't using his you know spoken language to communicate etc so it's you can have that um you can write in a strengths-based and neuroaffirming way um and still get funding here's here's a here's a really um vital point that i always share um with our team i would love to think that the ndas for example do read every single word of a report uh, but let's face it they probably don't um so instead i have a sneaky suspicion that instead they scroll right on down to the summary and get the guts of what they actually need to know so what we do is that we have a box now i'm passionate about aesthetic things if you've seen my instagram accounts you might um already know that um and so i call this the ugly box but don't you worry it is still a beautiful shade of terracotta <laughs> but anyway it draws attention it draws attention to the information that um, a funding body like the ndis is likely to want to see now when we're sharing the reports with families we'll say here's the report now a bit of a disclaimer about this box that you see here titled summary. We provide this for NDIS's reference and it has information in there that they often want to see to be able to make funding decisions. Now, some of the language used in here isn't necessarily strengths-based. It isn't neurodiversity affirming, but it may help you in uh, in getting the funding that you um, you know that that would be helpful for Johnny. I always call my kids Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> so, um in that it says all the terrible things. It will say assessment has determined that Johnny is two years and three months behind his peers. Johnny will not be able to get his needs met unless he has, you know, weekly speech pathology support. Um, he is unable to communicate in ways, blah, 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 blah. All the nasty, pasty stuff is in that little box. But by being able to put it just in one spot um, and still sharing information everywhere else but in ways that is um not just affirming for johnny once he let's face it out these kids are going to grow up and they're going to read the stuff themselves but not only is it affirming for him but it's also so much better for a parent to read and the buy-in from a parent can be so much richer when they're already you know they they have um you know a positive perspective or um that that balanced perspective on their their child skills so um i think that yeah this is a really really important topic and i think something that unfortunately the thought of um not getting funding because of using this kind of language i think this is something that scares people off from going down that path um but there are definitely ways to to still ensure that um you've you've got both yeah it's a really 
um, innovative way to do things. Mm. Um, All right. So I might leave it there, but just as one final question, um, of the things we've spoken about today, what do you think is one thing that you would encourage speech pathologists to keep in mind um, of what we've talked about as they go on their merry way today? I think the biggest thing um, to take away is an understanding of authentic autistic communication. I think that um, it is something that is really worth understanding more um, in just thinking about how many speech pathologists work with the autistic population um, and how little um, we we think about this. Uh, I think that as we go forward into the future, the understanding of authentic autistic communication is going to be a key to providing truly neurodiversity affirming support. Um, and so I think that is a big takeaway. One more takeaway, though, I know that we've talked about a assessment and late identification um, is to be mindful of inaccurate representations of what the autistic neurotype um, looks like. So um, understanding that there is more to the autistic neurotype than the stereotyped understandings of it. So things like, oh, you know, you you give eye contact, therefore you can't be autistic. Um, or, you know, you have lots of friends, therefore you can't be autistic. I think it's really important that um, as we go along, um, even if we aren't autism assessors, to be able to identify the autistic neurotype, it is really worth learning about it and understanding it, understanding the nuanced presentation so that um, so that they don't end up coming to me in 20 years and saying, I wish I'd known this earlier. Um, but instead being able to say, to see, to pick up the more nuanced presentation and the presentation in girls and non-binary individuals um, and to be able to say to parents, to families or to the individuals themselves, hey, you know, I, I'm noticing a number of um, qualities that you share with the autistic community. I wonder if that is perhaps you know, part of your neurotype. I wonder if that's something that's worth exploring or, oh, I'm seeing Johnny delight so much, you know, in um, in his repetitive play. And, you know, I noticed that he, um, he really loves to jump in and, and contribute conversation. You know, I, I wonder if, I wonder if those are in fact autistic qualities that might be worth exploring. That would be fantastic to be able to understand better. So I think the two messages that I really have is to learn more about authentic autistic communication and learn more about the autistic neurotype um, and the nuanced and masked internalised presentations of it so that we, um, we're more, um, I guess, we're more equipped to be able to support the autistic population. Oh, and above all else, listen to autistic voices. So whenever any population that um, you are, you know, you're working with, listen to the voices from that community. So if you're working with the autistic population, 100% um, the, the autistic community is the place to, to go. Um, a great place to learn more about those two topics is by actually jumping onto social media like Instagram, for example. Now, it's not something that we are, I guess, used to doing, um, you know, having professional development from social media. But I think as long as we use our, you know, our critical um, reasoning and thinking skills and, and keep that cap on, um, then it can be such a rich place of getting information. And most importantly, getting that information from lived experience, listening to autistic voices. Whenever we're learning about a, um, you know, a, a particular community, it's important to listen to the 
voices within that community themselves. Um, there are so many amazing autistic content creators on Instagram, but um, one of my absolute favorites would have to be NeuroWild. So NeuroWild um, is an account run by um, M. Maney, in, um, who's a autistic ADHD, a speech pathologist in New South Wales. She creates amazing content that describes the experience of autistic individuals, ADHDs, um, and other neurodivergences and um, shares the perspective of the neurodiversity affirming approach. Um, so absolutely M. Maney and her, her comics are incredible. Um, some other Australian um, autistic content creators that are great go-tos are um, Neurodivergent Researcher and Neurodivergent Lou, that's L-O-U. Um, they, they provide a lot of really great insight um, and particularly into that autistic neurotype um, as well and authentic communication. So those are some great places to go. Um, I myself at Dasha Kalesic also have um, information that I share about that neurotype as well as um yeah, what I mentioned before in terms of while you wonder and uh, that nuanced and masked internalized experience and sharing sharing that a bit more. So I think absolutely do look at research, look at professional development that is more structured and formal, but be also open to finding um, and listening to autistic voices in other places like social media, for example. So 100% learning about um, the autistic neurotype in more in more detail as well as I guess, um, authentic autistic communication, learning about those two things can really, really enrich the toolkit that you have as a speech pathologist working with those populations. Okay, I think that's plenty for people to go away with. Um, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your information and passion. I've had so much fun getting to know the speechy community of lived experience with autism and ADHD. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to learn more. So thank you. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Please join us next week for another Speak Up, Speak Up conversation. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.